The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. I'd like for us to open our Bibles to the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11. And we are indeed thankful that we each can have a copy of God's Word, that we can look into our Bibles and that we can read these wonderful scriptures that we have about the Lord our God. Now today we will celebrate Father's Day with a fellowship luncheon. We'll sit down for a meal in just a little while and enjoy our time together. And food has been a, has always been a gathering place for Christians. In the Word of God, you'll read at times where it says that the disciples broke bread together. Now, often when it says that, it refers to the Lord's Supper, but there are other times when it talks about Christians just sitting down to have a common meal together. But what is it that makes today's meal different? Across America, there are many people who sit down with with a meal to a meal together. And so what makes the celebration of Christians different? Is our primary focus today on our dads that we want to honor and uh, to love, show that we love them? I think maybe that you see the intention of my question that Father's Day on Sunday is coincidental to us. It falls on a Sunday, but we're already here. And we didn't come here because it's Father's Day. We came here because it is the Lord's Day. And we're here to worship Him. And since it is the Lord's Day, and coincidentally it is Father's Day, it gives us a really good opportunity to think about God as our Father. And that's the theme that I want to call our attention to today. Now, it's important that our focus be right as we talk about this this morning. Uh, I, I know that there may be some of you that wouldn't enjoy worship if our thoughts were only about physical fathers. I've looked back over several years' worth of Father's Day messages, and it seems like here's a comment that's always inserted uh, to those messages, that there are many of you, or some of you, that may have had a terrible childhood, that you might have had a childhood of abuse, and when you think of your father, it doesn't bring back any cherished memories. And if we only thought about that, you, you wouldn't really enjoy the service very much today. But here is where I think that we find the joy of being a Christian and being believers in Jesus Christ and members of a church, and that is we have a spiritual family. We have a family here, and we have new bonds of love and fellowship that are formed as we worship together in this same family. And so as believers in Jesus Christ, you have a Father, you have a lovingly heavenly Father, one who always cares for you, one who works for you, one who supplies for you, one who loves you and wants to fellowship with you, and so you never feel unloved in the presence of this Father. The Heavenly Father is our subject today, and there's so much that we can say about Him, because our Father is bigger than this entire universe. And our Father is more powerful than all the angels, the innumerable angels that He created, all their power combined together. And our Father is more powerful than our arch enemy, who is Satan, and He has promised to protect us from that horrific enemy. And since our Father fills the universe and 
He has multitudes of attributes and qualities about him that are far beyond our comprehension and far too many for us to talk about. I have to pare down my comments to speak only of three important aspects of our relationship with him. Our text is Luke chapter 11, and you'll recognize this as a parallel to Jesus' teachings in Matthew 6 that were in his most famous sermon that was the Sermon on the Mount. And it's from this section that Jesus Christ in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6 gave his disciples a framework for their prayers. We know it as the Lord's Prayer, although it's a prayer that Jesus never would have prayed for himself. But here in the book of Luke, this is a a different occasion. This is not the same as Matthew's account, but there are similarities between the two. So if you look at Luke 11, verse number 1, And it came to pass that as he was praying, that is, Jesus was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In Matthew 6, Jesus used the model prayer as a teaching tool to show people how to properly worship the Father in their prayers. And prayer is a worship experience, and We should pay attention that God is always specific about the ways that he wants us to worship him. And so if you read the entire Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew chapters 5 through 7, that that whole section is a correction of the Jews who had skewed worship, and especially the section called the Lord's Prayer showed how Jewish leaders were wrong in their approach to God. And you remember, you see this acted out here in the book of Luke in chapter 18, You know the story of the proud Pharisee who prayed and the publican that prayed and how very, very different their prayers were to God. Now, it's reasonable that if we're wrong in the way that we worship, then we're going to be wrong in the ways that we worship, uh, glorify God. And, And prayer is one of the chief acts of worship, for it is in prayer that we admit our weakness and we come in humility to the Lord our God And our approach to God the Father determines whether God is pleased with the way that we worship. Now, I resist saying that prayer is complicated because we read many simple prayers in the Scripture. But I must also remind you that it's not as simple as most people believe. And how do I know this? Well, I know it because Jesus had to instruct on prayer. He had to correct some things. He had to correct the method. He had to correct the attitude and the order of it. He had to change the motivations of their prayers. Now, you see, they were convinced that prayer was more about them than about God. Prayer was more about what they wanted than reverence and worship to God the Father. And prayer must be about God. Otherwise, it's not a true act of worship. Well, it could be an act of worship, but it's an act of worship of ourselves when we put ourselves above God in our in our prayers. So there's much to consider about the whys and wherefores of the model prayer that, that Jesus gave, and those won't be a part of my comments today. 
But instead, I want us to look here in Luke and this recording of something very similar to the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. And we want to consider a different reason for Jesus to repeat this information about how to pray. And so hopefully his motivation for doing that will be my motivation in the service today. Now you'll notice in our text in Luke 1 that it says that Jesus was praying. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, Jesus was not teaching as he was in Matthew 6. Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, is Jesus teaching the Jews. And incidentally, it seems like he comes to the, ad, uh, the, the matter of prayer. But here in Luke, we find Jesus was praying. And perhaps we could say that he was teaching because Jesus believed that what you do, your actions are also teachers. Scripture says that we are to pray without ceasing. That's 1 Thessalonians 5.17. And often we interpret that scripture to mean that we're to always be in an attitude of prayer. Always thinking about prayer. But surely that, that scripture also includes that there needs to be some very deliberate times of prayer. That we do set aside a specific time of prayer to speak to our Heavenly Father and to worship Him in our prayers. So we see then that Jesus was praying and there was a disciple that was near enough to hear him. Our text doesn't say that this was a public prayer. Perhaps it was. But I think more likely that this disciple was eavesdropping on Jesus as he prayed audibly. Now we don't often pray audibly when we're alone. But maybe we ought to try that every now and then. Maybe our prayers would be a little bit better if we just sometimes spoke out loud what we wanted to say to God, even when we are alone. Now, I think then that it must have been a custom for Jesus to pray aloud. I mean, I, I do think that that's the sense that we get of his prayers in Gethsemane. The scriptures show us that he moved just out of the earshot of his disciples as he began to agonize with his father. And perhaps Jesus prayed audibly at times so people could hear him, so they could Hear how he approached his father and the intimacy and the fervency in which he prayed. But in any case, we see here in this text that the disciple could hear him and he noticed that Jesus' prayer was different than the prayers that he prayed. This disciple didn't pray this way. There was something that was very sweet and attractive in the way that Jesus spoke to his father. Then at the same time, his prayers were authoritative. And surely it was noticeable that something very different was transacted between Jesus and the Father as he prayed. Now the special aspect, this special aspect of prayer is called relationship. He had a unique relationship with the one that he prayed to. And that's an aspect of prayer that the rabbis had never taught this disciple as he grew up in Jewish society. Oh, the Jews did believe that they were children of God, but they knew very little of a loving relationship with God. In the second verse, Jesus bore down on the relationship and he responded to the request for teaching by saying directly to this disciple, he said, when you pray, you say, our Father. That if you want to pray successful, worshipful prayers, you need to know who you can ask and you need to know why you can expect an answer. And the reason is that God is your father. You have a relationship with him. Now, the Jews didn't much understand the relationship, mostly 
because hardly any of them had a relationship with God. They did pray, but they didn't have kinship with God. So you catalog that information for just a moment. Now this disciple, though, by his belief in Christ, had the relationship. And so Jesus said to him, pray, say, our Father. And to hear him say, our Father, that was a stunning thing for this disciple to hear. Even if this disciple should admit that God was Jesus' Father, he would never include himself to say that God is my Father, or God is our Father, because the Jews just didn't understand the relationship in that way. To them, God is their benefactor. God is their helper. God was their refuge. God was their hope. All of those elements we find present in David's prayers, in the Psalms, and also in 1 Samuel. But to call God Father, to call Him that in an intimate way, that just wouldn't do. And it wasn't that it was prohibited. They just didn't understand God in that way. Now, if I could, I'd like to comment on this for just a moment in a, in a personal way. I mean about coming to a better understanding of a child of God's relationship with the Father. I don't know if there was a a boy or a young man who loved his father more than me. I worshipped my dad. And I hope you understand what I mean by that, that I worshipped my dad. I had a wellspring of feelings for my dad. I had the appreciation, I had the respect, I had the love. But more than ever, I look back now as a man, and my father's been gone 20 years in in this past May, and I look back on my life with him in the deepest gratefulness for what he taught me about faith in Christ. But I never really understood how much he loved me. Now, I did know that he loved me because he took care of me, and I knew he loved me because he provided all of my needs. And I think that's the way that the Jews thought about God. They had a sense of of how they loved God and God loved them, but they didn't really know the depths of that love that God had. You see, the Old Testament speaks repeatedly of God agonizing over His people because of their disobedience. And I don't think that they, they understood what that meant to God on a very intimate, personal level. But the thing that made me understand a father's love and how much my dad loved me didn't happen until after I was married and had left home. And it happened with the birth of my first child. When Clarissa was born, there was an indescribable feeling that came over me. The little baby was everything to me. Just watching her grow, knowing how she depended upon her mom and me to to take care of her, that just caused your heart or my heart to burst open with love shortly after she was born I was with my dad and we were on our way to church and we were going to do some work and as we were driving up the long driveway to the church I felt that I needed to say something to my dad I wanted him to know that I had a new understanding of our relationship and so I said dad I've been a Christian for many years and I've learned Many, many things. But I never understood how much you love me. And I never understood how much that God loves me until I looked into the face of my own child. Now, I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. I hope that you do. But it was then that I got a 
a small glimpse, but a very special glimpse of the relationship between me and the Heavenly Father. And I think that you've got, to, you've got to see that, to know how much that God loves you and how special it was for Jesus to say, when you pray, say, Our Father. I know that you probably don't get much of a sense of that in my preaching because I preach so much about God's wrath. I preach about our depravity. But it's that deep chasm between us and God the Father that was bridged when he gave his precious son for us to die for us that that knowledge should overwhelm us with the proper sense of God's love. And I try not to emphasize that point too much because maybe I'm just cautious that I don't want to include anything that glorifies us instead of God. And never do I want to, to dwell on personal wealth uh, not wealth, but worth, personal worth, or certainly not in any sense that Christ died because I have some intrinsic value or worth. But I have to include this, though, that if God was willing to sacrifice his son, and if God was willing to give his best and to inflict pain upon his own son and to separate himself from his son because my sin was on him, then there must be a love that is so deep for me that I can never touch bottom of it. And if you could hear Jesus pray, I think that you would get that sense that something was very different about the way that he prayed. He knew how much his heavenly Father loved him. And that puts sweetness and compassion and fervency in his prayers. And so a listener could hear the difference in the sensitivity of his prayers, a sensitivity that was lacking in their rote mechanical prayers that they prayed day after day in the, in the tabernacle or the temple and later in the synagogues. And so when this disciple heard this, he approached Jesus and he said, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray the way that you pray. And Jesus accommodated. And he said, this is the way that you should pray. And he changed their approach. You must understand that God is your Father. Now, in the Lord's Prayer, there are petitions. I don't want to talk about the petitions. I don't want to talk about the mechanics of prayer today. I don't want to talk about the acts acrostic today. I just want to deal with this phrase. Our Father, which art in heaven. Our Father. If there's one word that best describes the ministry of Jesus... I think it would be the word controversial. Hardly anything that he said was status quo. He was always upsetting common perceptions. God and Father were rarely interchangeable in Jewish prayers. When Jesus said, Our Father, that was a radical way of approaching God. I think most of you understand the reverence that the Jews had for God's name. They wouldn't even speak his name aloud. His name was so revered and so mystical that no one even knows for sure how to pronounce God's name. I mean, what we find in the Hebrew pronunciation of Lord, when you see that all in capital letters in the Old Testament, L-O-R-D, the Jews were always silent when they came to that name in the reading of the text. And so they would substitute a different name, another name, because that name was too high and too holy for them to speak. And this is why we don't actually know how to pronounce the word. And it's that kind of reverential fear that would never allow them to think that they could have a close, intimate relationship with God. 
And in many ways, I respect that. I respect it very much because I know that people today, many people have no reverence for God's name. You listen to them as they throw God into their common conversation with literally zero respect for Him. But the Jewish respect for God's name would never allow His name to sneak into their everyday, ordinary, common conversation, especially not profane conversation. Now, if you would, I'd like you to turn to the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. I mentioned Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And imagine how scandalous his prayers were to those who at least pretended that they had some kind of pious respect for God. Imagine how shocked that they were to hear Jesus say this in the 36th verse of Mark 14. And he said, Jesus said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. In your Bible, if you do this, just take a pencil or a pen and underline that word Abba. A-B-B-A. That's a term of endearment. It's more intimate than father because this is as a child would come to his father and he would call him daddy or papa. Abba would cause the Jews to shudder. They had no frame of reference for this a reference for this term in their prayers, but this is the way that Jesus often prayed. There's only one time in the New Testament when Jesus did not address God as father or as Abba, and that was in the death of the cross. On the cross, his first address that was spoken directly to God was when he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And that's only because at that moment he was suffering for sin and his fellowship with the Father was broken. But you'll notice that when the fury of hell had been unleashed on Christ and when he had suffered enough and when he had atoned and when he had satisfied God for our sins, that he returned to that same intimacy with the Father. He surrendered up his life to God and he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. The Jews never saw relationship with God that way. Calling God Father was controversial. Why did they want to kill him? Because this is one of the sticking points in John 5.18. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him because not only had he broken the Sabbath, but also he said also that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. Now you can see how Jesus understood Father Jesus wanted no mistake exactly what he intended by calling God his father. So perhaps the Jews thought that if you called God your father, that was the blaspheme God because then you made yourself equal to him. Well, let me say something about that for just a moment. When we sin, did you know that we make ourselves above God, equal or above God? When we sin, our sins are a personal claim that we can make ourselves God, that we can do what we want in spite of what God says. We begin to idolize ourselves when we sin. And so we make ourselves equal to God when we deny Him and willfully disobey Him. So we need to be very, very careful about our false piety when we speak of God. It might be too much and it may be hypocritical. But nonetheless, Jesus 
instructed the disciple, when you pray, say, our Father. Is there better news than that? Is there better news than to know that you can call God your Father just as Jesus did? And why can you? Because Jesus saved you and he gave you the right to do it. You're an adopted child of God and you have the rights of the inheritance of the Father. Now all of that's introduction to the sermon. And it brings me to three observations on these six words, Our Father, which art in heaven. First, I want to speak to you about the exclusive person. We're told to pray to the Father. Now, I don't want to be too, too technical or argumentative, but I do think it's very clear who we are to address in prayer. Jesus said that we are to pray to the Father. He assumed that when he said in Matthew 6, verse 8, For your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before you ask him. So that's an assumption. Prayer goes up to the Father. He knows what you need before you ask him. That is, before you ask the Father. Now, I know that you love Jesus, but Jesus did not tell you to pray to him. Jesus is the intercessor for our prayers. He intercedes with the Father for us. I know that you may be and you should be enthralled with the power of the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Spirit. But we're not told to pray to the Holy Spirit. You see, we respect the divisions of the Godhead. We respect that and we show our belief in the Trinity by regarding those distinctions. And though God is one in essence, He's three in person. And we respect that understanding by being very careful to observe the distinctions when we pray. And you might not have thought of, thought of it this way, but prayer is very theological. Worship is theological. And to worship God correctly, you must respect the teaching of the Trinity. You pray to the Heavenly Father in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, ask in my name. Ask the Father in my name. So it's not prayer to Jesus and it's not prayer to the Holy Spirit. It's prayer to the Father. Now I'm not saying that you're a heathen if you make that mistake. I'm not saying that your prayers will never be answered if you didn't know this or inadvertently you prayed without willful intent that you were going to disobey God and you pray to Jesus or the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying that because I know that one of the works of the Holy Spirit in our life is to take imperfect human prayers and to dress them up and to make them acceptable to God the Father. But now I've told you this and I've taught you this just as Jesus taught it. And so you might have been wrong before, but you shouldn't be now. Prayer to Jesus is wrong in this sense because he told you to pray to the Heavenly Father. And he wants you to pray that way because it helps you to understand the Father and how much he loves you. So I encourage in our corporate prayers, our men, when you come to pray before the congregation, think about what you're going to say before you say it. Think about how your prayer should be addressed. Who are you speaking to? To whom do you call upon? And in whose name do you speak? And that's important because people hear our public prayers and people are taught in our public prayers just as this disciple heard Jesus as he prayed and was taught. I've been doing public prayer for many, many years. And by the continual practice, I don't make the mistake of praying to Jesus or the Holy Spirit. Sunday school teachers... Teach your children to love Jesus. 
I know that you want them to know about Jesus. Then teach them as Jesus taught. Teach them to pray. But not to pray to Jesus. To pray to the Heavenly Father. Now what's my point in all this? Why, why did I end up being a little bit technical and argumentative about it? What is my point? It is that we're to worship God in the right way. That we have a privilege of calling God our Father. And what we ought to do is to acknowledge that privilege and to use it because Christ died to make that possible for you. So that you could call Him your Father. Then our next observation is the exclusive people. Who has the privilege of calling God their Father? Nobody can without the proper relationship. There must be the kinship that I, that I spoke of earlier. There aren't too many men in the church that are older than me. Gary is older than me. But he's not old enough to be my father. But let's suppose that he was. And let's suppose that I started calling Gary Dad. And I said, Dad, I am so happy to be a part of your family. And I am so honored that you have me in your will. And that I'll receive my part of your estate. And I will get my inheritance from you. Isn't that what the Heavenly Father said? He said that you have an, an inheritance. You are an heir. You are his child. You are an heir. So suppose I snuggle up to Gary and I say, Papa, we are so close. And you are my provider. And you, and you promise me everything that you have. What would happen? Well, someday we would come to the reading of the will. And I show up. And Melissa and her sister Michelle say, How did you get in here? What are you doing here? You're not blood. And they would say to me, What right do you have to call my dad your dad? And they would take me out behind the barn and beat the tar out of me. Now, compound that with this scenario, because this one's much closer to the truth. What if every day I said something bad about Gary? What if I cursed him? What if he asked me to do something for him? And I said, don't think so. I don't have time for that. Uh, I've got my own self, myself to take care of. What if I mistreated him every day? What if I called him a liar and I didn't trust him? Now, suppose I show up for the reading of the will. And I said, oh, I know Papa's going to take care of me. Do you get the point? Nobody has a right to call God Father if they don't have a relationship with Him. And no one has a relationship with Him unless they believe in Jesus Christ. And if you don't have the relationship, you can't ask. You don't have the right to ask. If you don't know Christ, you can't ask in His name. And that's what you're required to do. Oh, but everybody thinks they have the right to call on God, don't they? Anybody can pray, and anybody can pray in their own way. That doctrine is called the universal fatherhood of God. That God is the father of everybody. Not true. It is not true. A thousand times that is not true. Jesus said to the unbelieving Jews, God is not your father. Who is their father? Listen to what he says in John eight forty four: Ye are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own or everything that comes from his own mind. For he is a liar and the father of it. Jesus was specific about this because the Jews said, Abraham's our father. 
which was the same as saying Abraham was blessed by God and he was a child of God and we're the children of Abraham and so are we children of God. We have a relationship too. No, they didn't have a relationship. Jesus said the devil is your father. And that's not only true of unbelieving Jews, but it's true of all those who never come to faith in Jesus Christ. No one who rejects Jesus Christ has God as his father. And so if they show up for the reading of the will, God will say, depart from me. I don't know you. You have no rights here. See, this is not really hard stuff to figure. Uh, this is not hard to decipher. This, is, this is, isn't radical, actually. This is Christianity. This is New Testament. Who are the children of God? The Bible answers that question in Galatians 3.26. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. So that rules out unbelievers. It rules out any other religion. No one has the right to call on God and expect anything from God to get any answers from God when they pray. You have no rights with God any more than you have to come and put your feet under my table and to say to me, Dad, support me. Dad, give me lunch money. Dad, buy me a car. Dad, sign for a loan. What? No, you aren't my child. I didn't take you to raise. Go ask the Democrats. They'll raise you. <laughs> did, did I say that? An intimate relationship with God exists only when you've been born of God. And how are you born of God? God does that. That's His work. The Holy Spirit brings you to life to believe and you receive relationship. And if you don't, you don't have the credentials, so you stay away. I know that's not popular. I know this is not popular, and it gives you a sense of why Jesus wasn't popular. When he just told the cold, naked truth that you are the children of the devil, that's not very popular. What if I told you that you are a child of the devil? Don't dare to pray. Well, I'm telling you, if you're not a child of God, don't you dare pray. Now, I know that you won't raise your hand if I say, please, all the children of the devil, raise your hands. You're not going to do that because you don't believe it. Well, you should, because you're a child of God only if you have faith in Jesus Christ. Now, let me tell you the implications that would be true if God should allow you to come to him without belief. What if he should answer prayers without belief in Christ? Then it would say that the death of Christ was a sham. It would say it was unnecessary. It, it would say that God put his own son on the cross for no reason. And it would say that there are no rights that are guaranteed by Christ's death. And it would say everybody come. Because Christ's death wasn't anything special. Then what do you think of these verses that we read in our opening exercise this morning, the call to worship. Romans 5, 1 and 2, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into His grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Do you see it? We have access by faith into God's grace. 
You are justified by faith in Christ. And your access is granted because you have believed. Don't try to go to God without Christ. He won't let you. It's the height of insolence and ingratitude to try to sneak around Christ to get to his Father. He won't let you. Now if you'll turn to Ephesians chapter 2, we learn here that the cross is the only means of access. Can you go around the cross, can you bypass the cross and still get to the Father? Ephesians 2 verse number 14. For he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the hostility. We have hostility against God. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity and God has hostility against us. Even the law of commandments contained in ordinances for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. And that he might reconcile both unto the Father in one body. How? By the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. What does the apostle say? Whether you are Jew or Gentile, you cannot get to the Father without going through the cross. He reconciled us to God by the cross. And I hope you notice there that this is Trinitarian access. That the cross of Christ gives access through the Spirit unto the Father. You know, you might want to circle that part. Because there you have proof again of the Trinity of God. You'll not get to God without Christ. You dare not call Him Father. You dare not pray to the God of the Bible without Christ. Now you can pray to any dead God that you want. But you don't call on the living God without Jesus Christ. And you can't blame me if you don't like that. I've just read you the Word of God. Well, there is much to be said, but I need to hasten to this third observation, and that is the exclusive place. When you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven. God is our Father in heaven, and it's from heaven that God sends down all of His blessings. James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. From his storehouse in heaven, God gives all spiritual blessings in Jesus Christ. Now heaven's God's home. Though he fills all places, heaven is his home. And so to access God the Father is to access his home. Jesus told his disciples not to be troubled because he was going to the Father's house to prepare a place for them. You can read that in John 14. I go to prepare a place for you. For who? The believing disciples. Now you talk about trying to get around Jesus. How would you do that? How would you get to the Father's house where a place has been prepared by the Savior? Well, if you could get that far, you'd be left on the doorstep. You wouldn't have the credentials to get in. You wouldn't have a home there because Jesus prepared homes for believers. And faith in Christ is the credential. Now, if we go to Hebrews chapter 11, you know this chapter is the hall of faith. And it tells of the, of the great faith of the patriarchs of the Old Testament. What did they receive by faith? 
Hebrews 11.8 By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith Abraham received the promise of a new country. Now he went looking for the earthly spot, but the fulfillment of this promise is not the earthly spot. That's a holding place. That's just a waiting place. And that place was never like home. We're all sojourners. So he looked and longed for a city with foundations whose builder and maker is God. Abraham expected a better home, an exclusive home. And how would he arrive there? By faith. By a faith that's also exclusive. A faith in Jesus Christ alone. Now you read the entire 11th chapter of Hebrews. The faith that is described in that entire chapter is a faith in Jesus Christ. Everything that those people did in the Old Testament was by faith. It was by faith in God. And then you get into chapter 12 and you see what this faith was. Hebrews 12 too, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is the one and only way to the Father. Do you want to go to that exclusive place to see the Father who loved you with an everlasting love? And do you want to meet the Father who loved you so much that He was willing to give His Son to die for you? Oh, you're an exclusive person because God chose you. And you have an exclusive faith because only God can give it. Your faith is in an exclusive person, Jesus Christ alone. And so you have an exclusive Father, the Father of Jesus Christ. Jesus called Him Father. And you can call him Father too if you are a disciple. Follow Christ and he will lead you to his Father. Our Father which art in heaven, are you saved today? If you are a saved, sanctified believer in Jesus Christ this morning, if that describes you and God as your Father, then would you say this with me? Everyone? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronan Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www dot bbaptist dot org